When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Until yesterday, the big news broke that uh, after a decade as uh, New Zealand Cricket's chief executive, David White is set to step down from that role in August. It uh, begs the question, what happens next? Uh, what is the way forward for New Zealand cricket? And uh, what is the current situation with New Zealand cricket? Well, to help us get a better understanding of uh, what's going on at, uh, HO, at HO and head office is uh, the board chairman, Martin Snedden. Good morning to you, Martin. Morning, Smitty. Yeah, a long time. A long time. Um, first of all, uh, before we get on to, um, the, to David White and uh, what's uh, happening uh, at uh, headquarters, I, I just wonder if um, we'd have a, pa- a passing thought for Lindsay Crocker, who uh, sadly uh, lost his battle um, with illness uh, earlier in the week. Yeah, uh, was really sad. Too young to die. Uh, someone who had a lifetime involvement in cricket as a player, um, and then administration as chief executive of Auckland Cricket, and then moving into New Zealand Cricket, firstly managing the Black Caps for six years, and then on to uh, a, a key role in, in cricket operations. Um, a really good innovator. He's, um, you know, people won't remember, but he was right at the forefront of drop-in pitches being introduced and trialled in, in New Zealand. Uh, at a time where we were using uh, our, our major venues were both catering for rugby and cricket and obviously with professional rugby the seasons were starting earlier and earlier so um, you know he was right at the front of that and, it's, and, and that's just the norm now the really good drop-in pitches enable so much more flexibility for venue use we then extended that into we had this conundrum of how do we enable our best players to be able to train right through um, the year in, in suitable conditions and we started, under his leadership, we started trialling uh, marquees during winter, heated marquees where uh, the players could, could train on grass but uh, inside a marquee in temperature controlled environments and that technology was pretty rough and ready at the start but over the years has developed into something uh, spectacularly good and we're now in a position where we are rapidly building these all-weather training facilities right around New Zealand. Yep, a very familiar face around uh, New Zealand cricket circles, and um, yes, he'll be sadly missed, there's no doubt about it. Um, and I, I think, uh, coincidentally, uh, I think he might have even opened the batting for, for at, on the odd occasion or batted with David White, um, the CEO of New Zealand Cricket, who announced yesterday that um, he would be resigning and uh, walking away from his post in August. Was that... Uh, Big news for you, or did you uh, did you see that coming? Well, um, what he had been there for twelve years, and it's a it's a tough gig. You know, you have uh, there's no there's no downtime. Um, the business of cricket is twelve months a year, twenty four seven, really, and uh, and so the intrusion on your own personal life is huge. But um, the guys that are doing that, and he's an example, have great resilience. But there comes a time where you feel like uh, you've, you've done as much as you can do and it's time to 
um, move out. And I think the great thing, he, he came down, I didn't, I didn't um, guess that it was this soon. I, I knew that it would probably happen sometime in the next year or two, but he, he rang me up on Monday and he said, I want to come down and, and talk to you about something, and I sort of guessed something was up, so he came on down and, um, you know, it, he looked happy, he looked really um, relaxed, um, and he said to me, you know, I've thought this through, I've talked it through with my family. Uh, it's the right time. I want to go out um, when things are good uh, and uh, I'm not staying too long and uh, where the organisation is well set up for the future. And and so, you know, I think, Smee, I think it's a great thing. It's, whether you're a, an administrator or a coach or a player, um, as you and I know, we've seen it with sometimes... Um, where people have stayed on a bit too long and sometimes at the end it doesn't work out well for them and that impacts on, on how they reflect back on their time and I think he's done a right thing. He's going out on top and he'll have great memories of his time with New Zealand cricket for the rest of his life he, and cricket will have a really fond he, memory of what he did. Yeah, you're right. Uh, in terms of uh, on-the-field success, I mean, unparalleled time when you look at uh, if you set the bar at uh, World Test Championships and World Cup Finals, etc., um, he's he's presided over a pretty damn good era on the field. Yeah, I mean, who you and I know, but twenty years ago, thirty years ago, if we we'd been talking about it, said, "Oh, we could be the World Test Champions," we'd be in um, the fifty over World Cup Finals twice in a row. We'd be in the T Twenty World Cup Final. We'd be uh, we'd have moments during that six or seven years where we were ranked number one in each of those formats, where we were consistently in the top three or four of those formats. We would look at each other and said, oh, that's probably a little bit out of New Zealand's uh, reach. But actually it, it's come true. And, and uh, obviously a lot of that is because of the quality of the players and the support staff immediately around them. Um, but it's also because of the strength of the high-performance base that's been established next to them and, and uh, that's enabled them to shine. And, and David's responsibility isn't just for uh, overseeing the players, but it's also about that high-performance um, platform. And, you know, that's one of his great successes is that he's made that strong. And, um, and as a result, we've seen the results. And, it, and whilst a, a lot of the focus originally was on the men's side of the game, that's now extending well into the female side of the game. And so that same support base has been built up there. We're a few years behind on the women's side in terms of player depth. But uh, with what we're putting in place under his leadership, that's, that's going to come. So in terms of uh, women's cricket, um, you're satisfied then, uh, obviously quite a lot of investment going into it. Um, you're satisfied that you will get the return on investment? Yeah, it's, it's not a, uh, an immediate fix. You know, we, we, in 2016, the board and David called in uh, an independent person, Sarah Beeman, to have a look at it and, uh, and effectively lay bare uh, a pretty average sort of engagement that cricket was having with women and girls. And our motivation for doing that, one, was to um, understand the truth of the matter and secondly was to put it right out there and to light a fire that the cricket network could not ignore and then set to fixing things. And so 
you know, over the last six years, there's been a raft of things that we have been doing from the governance of the game through to high performance, through to uh, the community game that have been growing and growing the strength of the female platform. I was just looking at the um, census figures for girls playing cricket um, from last year to this year, and we've had a jump of 2,000 kids that are playing cricket. I imagine that the successful delivery of the Women's World Cup a year ago was probably a help there, but it's just another sign that we are growing that pace, because the, the reality is we can't expect the white firms uh, to put it with England, Australia and India unless in the first instance we develop a playing base that enables talent to be secured and then gradually developed through a pipeline to the point where they're capable of stepping on the field for the white firms and, and fronting up against those guys. So, um, you know, whilst we'll have individual successes and in the, in the bronze medal that white fans achieved in Birmingham last year was amazing but but you know the, to to achieve consistent success you've got to have a, a really strong pipeline of talented players supported by good uh, um, support and you know that that's getting that's getting um, better and better each year and I think as a long-term proposition we're in a pretty good state Snitz, what do what are your numbers? What are what are your figures telling you about um, the male side of the game? Young um, young lads playing cricket, etc. Uh, are those numbers good? We hear stories that perhaps uh, it's being rivaled by sports like basketball, cricket. Um, you know, because of the time, etc. Um, it's a much more competitive market than it used to be uh, 10, 15 years ago. Uh, what about the, the the state of it from a male perspective? So, uh, the reality is that. Sports like basketball, um, football, uh, even volleyball, funnily enough, are smashing it at school level. They're, you know, it, those. I think the basketball is, is benefiting enormously from the exposure to the NBA in America and, and just the attractiveness and the ease and flexibility of how kids can participate. Um, and football's a simple game. You don't need, uh, you know, the sort of equipment. It, there's all sorts of... Um, impediments sometimes to kids participating in cricket that don't exist in those and so they're doing a really good job of growing participation they're miles ahead of us in terms of numbers so what we've got to do is concentrate on what we're offering the kids and make it uh, understand what they want and try and mold adapt our offerings to what um, is acceptable to them while still uh, retaining this as cricket as a game and we've been doing that for about four or five years really intensely now. The, the census figures are each year, or COVID got right in the way of this, but if we just for the second put COVID aside, each year we're going up 2 3 4% in numbers. Now, that's not a lot in an individual year, but if you manage to do that over 5, 6, 10 years, then that's actually a lot of kids. Um, now, to do that, we um, things that... that you know, you and I, as we when we were kids, we'd play in whites, we're playing 11 a side, we'd, we'd be there for the day. Um, we've had to create other formats of the game that are shorter, faster, that enable more participation from all of the players on the team as opposed to one or two star players. So there's had to be some adjustment to the, to the game formats and the rules, etc., to enable that. But the feedback we're getting is that it is working. Um, you know, it's not going gangbusters, but it's going solidly upwards. So we'll just stick with it. And again, I just feel that um, 
that that's creating um, a good health for the game. But but also, it, it's also really good that kids are involved in other sports. When you you know, primarily you want kids to be active and out there enjoying sport. I want them, as many as possible to play cricket. But but I love the fact that kids are out there trying their hand at football or or basketball or whatever. And that's really healthy. That's good. And and the skills that they learn doing that are transferable so that, you know, there is there is kids moving across sports all of the time and we've just got to be smart enough to, to keep enticing them into cricket um, as they go through their, their lives. Martin, one of, you mentioned before exposure uh, on television of the NBA being one of the great influences for kids in that regard. In terms of uh, cricket coverage uh, in New Zealand, and this is something we get coming into uh, the station a lot through text or whatever, um, and David obviously was uh, part of this decision, although I would imagine when you look to change a, a deal like a television uh, coverage, etc., that uh, has got to be board ratified, isn't it? It's not just on the CEO. I mean, that's quite a big decision, so... That's been one of the big um, talking points uh, going to Sparker. Now, of course, we hear Sparker's uh, finishing up. So where does that leave New Zealand cricket going forward on uh, television and radio? Yeah, so um, first point up is absolutely a board decision. The, the chief executive's job with something that big is to put the board in a position to discuss and ultimately make a decision. The chief executive doesn't make that decision by himself or herself. Um, so the whole board takes responsibility for that. Um, we went, we, we had reached a stage, and, and Smithy, remember, you know, um, you know, you were a spark, uh, guy for a long time, you know circumstances, um, where we felt that um, our exclusivity with Sky was... Um, whilst it was really good for the subscribers of Sky, um, it wasn't good for overall accessibility of the population to cricket. So um, we decided that uh, when the, the opportunity arose that um, we would ask our future broadcasting partners um, to come up with a vision as to how they could use what what strengths they had, but at the same time enable us to have much greater accessibility to uh, wider ranges of, of the New Zealand population, and, and in particular, um, how they would uh, uh, enable a partnership with free-to-air TV. Um, Sky and Spark were obviously the key contenders for this. Um, Spark came up with two things that were more attractive to us in this circumstance, one was uh, a free-to-air partnership with Television New Zealand TVNZ. Um, and the second one was the nature of the streaming platform we thought was indicative of where the future was going. And um, we needed to make a start on that. We knew, we knew there was risks involved, yes. Um, we have heard uh, what people have had to say over the years, but... Um, the reality is that, that most of the population is adapting to um, the changing technologies that, that exist in this area and are getting much more used to streaming and uh, almost a pay-as-you-go where you choose what it is that you want to watch on what platforms you watch. The, the beauty of the TVNZ connection was that firstly we were able to get a significant amount of uh, international and domestic male and female cricket onto free-to-air and so we were starting to open up um, uh, 
the opportunity for people to look at cricket um, that previously had been cut off for a long time. And then secondly, um, when Spark decided that um, the experiment that they were trying hadn't, hadn't worked sufficiently for them to continue, um, it meant that we had uh, uh, immediate access to um, another partner who was able to straight away pick it up. And, and this is such an interesting area now over the next three years. I think we're the only sport in New Zealand that is on free-to-air um, continuously. TVNZ are just, just finishing off arrangements now for how they're going to show all of the cricket. But all of our um, international cricket, a lot of our, all of our domestic T20 cricket, male and female, is going to be on free-to-air platforms. And, um, and we know... Uh, from past experience that the audience sizes watching uh, on those platforms are, are four, five, six times what we would get on either Spark or, or Sky. So we're, we're really now starting to look at how we take the opportunity and make the best of it over the next three years that TVNZ will be doing that. I think it's, it's really exciting, uh, it, but it does put a challenge on us to take advantage of it. Um, Spark also, by virtue of being on a streaming platform, opened up opportunities for us overseas that we pre- previously hadn't had as easy access to. And that's resulted in us being able to um, uh, access other markets that we just simply wouldn't, wouldn't be able to get into easily. And, and just as a small example of this, um, uh, if, if, you know, if I were to say to you what are the top-ranked international markets that were purchasing our cricket rights and to say to you that USA was about number four on that, you'd look at me and say, how does that happen? Well, it happens because you, you have a platform that you can send your cricket overseas on and it's easy for them to grab hold of it and use it. And so, you know, there have been all sorts of advantages to this. It's been a market disruptor. We've seen Sky lift its game considerably in the last um, since the period that we that we took on Spark and they've done some great stuff too so you know it, I think overall it, it's a good thing but I do um, understand that it hasn't hasn't been well accepted by a portion of those people who love cricket. Mm. Okay that's uh, cool uh, filling us in on, on that information um, interesting indeed. Um, just in, back to the the CEO role then. So uh, you're on the look uh, straight away. Um, uh, what kind of person does it does it has to be a person who knows the game uh, very very well? I mean, if you look at all the previous uh, CEOs, with the exception perhaps of Christopher Doig, all have uh, been international cricketers. Uh, what kind of portfolio um, are you going to put forward, or what kind of portfolio does someone have to have coming forward, male, female, etc.? The, the the dimensions have changed a lot. Yeah. So um, David's still with us until early August um, and there's some critical things that, that he and we will achieve during that time and he'll leave us with a really solid base um, going forward. Um, we'll start a professional recruitment process in June and um, I would anticipate we'll probably uh, be in a position to make an appointment late July, early August um, if it's an external candidate, then it's likely that it'll, there'll be a lag of say three months before that person can come on board. We've got a we've got a strong senior management team that'll be able to look after the business uh, during that time. The person we're looking for uh, is one that suits the future face of cricket, um, not just in a playing sense, but also in a in a business sense. So you know, when we're running the business of the game. Um, 
it, cricket takes up quite a lot of time, but so does broadcasting, so does commercial uh, exploitation, so does relationships at an international level with the ICC and with uh, the members of the ICC. Um, so there's, a, there's a, a lot of different things. We also know that in a fast-changing world, leadership of an organisation has to understand how that changed, what change is happening, and recognise the opportunities, the risks and opportunities that exist in that sort of changing stuff. So it's got to be someone that's smart enough uh, to take care of that. Um, do they have to have what you and I would recognise as being um, uh, the sort of uh, cricket pedigree that David, that Justin Vaughan, maybe me, have had before? Um, it's a good thing to have. I think if you're, if you're going to have... Um, devote your life as a CEO has to do uh, to this, then it helps enormously if you have an ingrained love of the game. But um, it is also, um, if you have a love of sport, then that goes a long way in itself. So it doesn't, doesn't absolutely have to be um, cricket specific. But I think we'd be looking for someone who... who absolutely shines uh, their passion for the sport and hopefully cricket's a significant part of that. Um, in this day and age, it's gender is irrelevant. We all choose the best person, be that male or female. Um, and as, as you and I have seen, um, there are uh, female leaders rising in sport, not just in New Zealand, but internationally. Um, we would like to choose a New Zealander, but we won't confine our search to um, New Zealand. Uh, the reality is if in the end the best candidate is someone who's internationally based, then okay, um, you know, that may well work. There's a lot whenever you bring in someone from outside of New Zealand there are there are advantages but there are also disadvantages. So you've got to weigh that up really carefully before you, you put someone into our environment. Um, there are plenty of examples of it not working. Um, as well. So we just have to carefully pick our way through um, mm. all of that. I think the, str the growing strength of the organisation, um, the stability of the game and the job that David has done has meant that we're not going to lack for really good candidates putting their hands up for this job. Um, I think what we'll be looking for is someone who's got the absolute best fit um, with our game and our business um, and uh, you know, if we if we manage to do that that uh, selection process well, then um, uh, New Zealand cricket and the game in New Zealand will be able to kick on. Martin Sneddon, thank you very much uh, for uh, all that information. It was absolutely outstanding. Uh, thanks for your time this morning. Hope the family are uh, all uh, safe and well, and uh, we'll talk again shortly. Cheers, man. Thank you. Thank you, Smitty.